You can turn to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. And uh, tonight we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, so we are going to give you guys actually a, a printout of Psalm 8. Um, it's only nine verses. But we're going to kind of do some work through the passage together. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys a copy of this. We do have pens as well if people need pens. So we'll hand those out in just a moment. So make sure everybody gets one. So there's, let's see, one, two... Three, four. All right. Well, there you go. Yep. Do you guys both want one or want to share? Sure. Okay, there you go. There you go, man. Okay, I'm going to try to make sure everybody gets one. So. Oh, amen. There you go. What a blessing. That's awesome. Did you get one? There you go. Of course you took one already. All right. So does anyone need a pen? I have pens up here. If anybody needs one, okay, back over there. Uh, yeah, that's fine. So here, catch this. Anyone else? I don't know which ones work and don't work, so. Okay. Far side of the room. Love it. Jeez, I'm getting my cardio in right now. Anyone else? Okay. Hopefully these work. I can't guarantee they do or don't. Okay, so if they don't work, there's more up here. Just feel free to come grab one. So tonight what we're going to do is uh, I've done something like this before where we'll take a passage and we will, um, sometimes what I'll do is I'll remove all the verse numbers so that way you can just see it as a text without the numbers that sometimes makes us uh, pause in certain ways or maybe put divisions where there really shouldn't be one. Um, but because of the way I'm going to teach through the text, I wanted you to still have the verse numbers. So we're going to go through these verses and kind of talk about them. But here's what we're going to do first. One of the best ways to study God's word is to spend some time making some observations. And so if you've been here for a long time and you're familiar with this, um, there's some very basic Bible study techniques you can use to understand a passage, understand a text. And the first thing you want to do is make observations. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you guys a couple of minutes all on your own. And I would encourage everyone to be a part of that. Jeff, I don't think I left one for you. So I'll get you one. So I want you to start kind of looking at the passage, read through it, and then make some notes, uh, circle things that are repetitive. If you see a phrase repeated or something that you think seems important in the text, um, something that jumps out to you, maybe if there's certain phrases or certain things that you find uh, interesting or intriguing, uh, basically just make some observations and, and write right on that paper. Circle, highlight, underline, um, square out things. If there's words that are repeated, maybe note those. And so then what we're going to do is we're going to go through the text together. I'll point out some things that jumped out to me as we work through these verses, and then we'll kind of all together grow in understanding this text. And so what I want to do, again, just give you a few minutes right there where you are. Go ahead and take some time. Just start making notes. Write on it. This is totally just your own thing. Okay? Uh, prefer you not to work together, Anthony. Kind of do this on your own. I'm just kidding. It's fine. I was just teasing. He's my son. I can do that. So, But take some time. Just look through the text. Make some notes. Um, again, whatever jumps out to you, and I'll give you guys a couple minutes to do that, and then we'll kind of jump into it together. I should have told TJ to have some music ready to play in the 
background, so it's not super quiet and awkward, but that's fine. Jeopardy music makes everyone nervous, Keith. Everyone gets nervous when they hear that melody. What's that? Oh, yeah, Sandra's like, I'm, I'm doing homework. I need silence. I'm working, okay? Give you guys just a couple more minutes to look through that, make some notes and whatnot. you guys kind of finish up that thought. Some of you are writing when I'm saying this, so give you a second here to finish that thought. But what I want to do is, is what you guys are doing right now is ideally what we could do, can be doing every single time we get into God's Word. Uh, it's really just slowing down and looking at the text. 
And so often when we do our devotions or our Bible reading or whatever, we can tend to just kind of speed through a passage, um, especially in the Psalms, because a lot of the Psalms are written very poetic and there's a lot of phrasing in there that we're like, oh, that's cool. But we don't really stop and pause and think on it. So tonight what I want to do is spend some time really just slowly breaking apart this text. And there's two goals in this. One, that we will kind of learn this discipline or grow in this discipline, if we're already doing this to some degree, to grow in that. So we'll slow down. That's the biggest thing I want you to learn tonight. Slow down when you're reading through the Bible. But the other thing I want to do tonight is to develop an idea of just letting the Word of God speak to us. Like letting the Word kind of communicate to us what it's saying instead of just trying to put all these different things in the text or in what it may or may not be saying. And so I want to break this psalm down, and I, I pray that it will drive us to worship and to, to really understand God's Word is there to lead us and guide us. And I think so often when we go through God's Word so fast and we're just trying to get it done, we're, we're missing that key element of this is meant to lead us into worship, to lead us into really evaluating who our God is and then elevating our worship to that God. And so ultimately, this is an encouragement, I pray, to help us to understand we need His Word to give us strength, especially in the day and age we live today, but also to grow us and help us understand how we can see our God, how we worship our God. And the other thing is, when we talked about the things this morning, we talked about when we see the world in the state that it is and all the chaos and confusion and just everything, it's easy to get caught up in thinking that's all there is. But when we slow down and when we see tonight what this one simple psalm is going to reveal to us and has revealed to you already as you've been reading through it, I pray that it'll help us to know like this world is not all there is. And there's something greater than this. And there's something we can put our eyes on beyond the physical. And we can see what God sees as far as he is in control. And he is working his plan for his glory. And so I want to break this apart real quick. Um, I want to open it up just for a moment. Um, If somebody wants to share something that that you noticed as you were reading through here, that you made a note on, or you jotted something down, or something that was repetitive. Um, If you did, and it's something that we're going to talk about, because like I said, we're going to go verse by verse through this. Um, I won't spend a lot of time unpacking it right now. I just want to hear your thoughts, and then we'll go back and kind of unpack the psalm. All right, so who wants to get us started? What's something that jumps out to you as you were kind of making notes and reading through the psalm? Okay, it begins and ends the same. How does it begin and how does it end? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's recognizing his name and then the same thing at the end. All right. That's important. We're going to start there in just a moment. Any, anything else that jumps out to you? Yes, ma'am. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Anyone else? I'm sorry. Okay. The power that he holds over all of it, the magnitude of his strength to hold it together. Amen. Any other notations from the text? Okay. So there's this talk of dominion being given over to man. Okay. That, that there's a responsibility here, right? There's a, there's a work that's expected. 
among mankind and a trust, yeah? Anything else? Yeah. Right, yeah. Absolutely. The power in his fingers is greater than we can even understand, right? And we think of that as a symbol of just a small, minute, like, part of his body, but yet there's so much power there. Absolutely. Absolutely. It seems a little out of place. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we'll unpack that a little bit, just the thought on that. Um, but for sure, it definitely strikes you when you're just reading through it. It doesn't seem to fit at first, for sure. Renee? And we're going to unpack that too. The, the forms of glory we see in this verse, this passage. There's two emphases of the glory of God, right? We're going to unpack that a little bit as well. So let's jump into that first verse. So uh, in your copy that you have there, the printed copy, uh, it's a little different uh, when I found this on Bible Gateway. Um, and so uh, I want to point this out that in some translations, it's not always this way, but in... Um, the King James, at least in the printed, my copy, my Bible, um, and some of your translations may say this. Um, I, I printed these, and then I caught that this version, this King James version, for whatever reason, through Bible Gateway, uh, did not do this. And so I want to kind of point this out to you. But in some translations, you're going to notice this. Like in the King James text here, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. In some translations, you're going to notice, and if you see this, you might notice this, uh, the first Lord there. Uh, in my text, it's capital L and then a capital lower O-R-D. Right? So it's, it's smaller letters, but it's capital smaller. Right? In the second Lord, you're going to see it's capital L and then a lowercase O-R-D. Does anyone else's translations have that? A few? Okay. So the reason that, that is assumed here, thought to be the reason for this, is those are two different ideas of the word Lord. So when it's capital L, lower O-R-D, but still capital, that's referring to the idea of Yahweh or the name I am. This is the name of God. Oh, our Lord, Lord being this Yahweh. This would be the same name uh, that was given to Moses in Exodus. Remember when he said, who will I tell him that sent me? And he says, tell him that I am sent you, right? This, this all-sufficient, 
all-sufficient, all-powerful, right? He doesn't need anything. He's completely self-contained. This is the way of understanding this name Yahweh or the I Am. He is the I Am. Uh, The second form with a capital L and smaller letters is referring to Adonai, or it is a title given to the Lord, like King. So we have two ideas here. The first Lord is referring to this sovereign I Am. He's all-sufficient. He is Yahweh. He is Lord. The other understanding here is this title of king, ruler. So he's a sovereign king. He is a sovereign ruler. He is Lord over all. And so he has this idea of showing us in this psalm. The psalmist is saying he is Lord as far as he is the great I am, but he's also king and ruler, right? There's a sovereignty in his leadership. The psalmist doesn't end there, though, because if we just left it as he's a sovereign king— That can make us feel like he's unapproachable. How can I possibly go talk to the sovereign king of kings? He is Lord, the self-sufficient one. But there's a phrase here that we have to note. O Lord, our Lord. So he is the sovereign I am and he's my king. There's a relationship here. There's a relationship being talked about here. The psalmist says he is our Lord. He is not just an all-powerful sovereign God, but a personal king, one who cares for us as we will see in the text. He is sovereign. He is great. He is mighty, but he's our king. He's not just a king or the king. He's our king. There's a relationship here. There's a connection to him. And I think, to be honest, that, that changes how we read the rest of the psalm. It helps us to understand the psalm in a different light because it's not, it is, as was said, it's displaying his greatness, his power, his might, but there's a connection from this great king to us. And it was already touched on. Look at creation and what is man? How does God view man? And so we're going to unpack that too as well. It is the name of God in the psalm that is emphasized here, and it is a great and majestic name. That's the, why it starts and ends this way, I believe, is because the name of God is key. What is the name of God? It is majestic. It is excellent. And this is what Jesus taught us in the model prayer, is it not? How does the model prayer begin? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed. What, is it, what does hallowed mean? What's another way to say hallowed be your name? Holy, set apart, revered, right? There's something about your name. And so here the psalmist, in agreement with Jesus in the model prayer, is saying the name of God is above every other name. It is the name of the, name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is set apart. His very name is excellent and powerful. In the first verse, if we're being honest, there's already enough information here to really drive us to our knees. That he is the sovereign creator, I am, all-sufficient, but yet he chooses to allow himself to be our king. Allow us to have a relationship with him, and his name is great. And so if we didn't go any further, if we just said, okay, we're done, we're going to go to prayer, we could spend the next, well, 30 minutes of our service just praising his name. Because the name of Jesus is the name given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of God is meant to be praised forever. It is a majestic, holy, powerful name. 
I mean, when Jesus, and I've referred to this often, but it's the most evident demonstration of this in the Gospels. When Jesus was being arrested in the garden, to, or in the garden, and the soldiers were coming, and they said, he said, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. They fell to their face because he spoke the name of God. And yet, the crazy thing is they got up and still arrested him. As I've said before, I, that's it. I'd have been done. Like, oh, no, okay, you're good. We're just going to leave you alone. You said something, and I was on my face. I don't even know how I got here. But I think we forget the power of the name of God. I mean, do you, when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not just a way to close a prayer. There's a reason we pray that, right? We pray in Jesus' name because we're saying, as he said in his word, if you ask anything in my name that's in agreement with my will, I will do it. So why we pray in Jesus' name is because as followers of Christ, we give all of this to Jesus in prayer, whether it's requests, whether it's praise, whether it's petitions, whatever it is. And then we say, and in Jesus' name, amen. We're saying, we believe, Lord, this is all in your will. So we're asking you to do these things in your name and then amen. So let it go forth. And when I realized that, I think I was maybe a second or third year in college, and I, I never really thought about why we say in Jesus' name. Right? It's almost like when you're married and before you get up the phone, you say, love you, love you too, click. It's just how you end the conversation. Okay? And if you're not careful, what can happen? It can be meaningless. Right? It's just, well, this is what we say to say, see ya. Right? It's my goodbye to Jesus. Right? No. So much more than that. And I remember when I, when I realized that, it directly affected how I started praying. Because then I would be praying and I'd have to stop and go, do I really believe this is in God's will? What I'm saying right now, what I'm asking God to do. Or is this my will? Is this my wants? Because I think if we're being honest, and I'll be honest and say I've done this, I've prayed for things and said in Jesus' name, and I, in my heart of hearts, knew that was nowhere near his will. But I threw his name on the end because that's just what we do in tradition. That's how we pray. When we pray, our Father in heaven, I mean, we're in his presence and we're calling out to him. So his name is enough to praise him. And I love that the psalmist starts and ends there. It goes on to say, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. We, his whole creation is glorifying his name. Who has set thy glory above the heavens. So we see his glory is on display in the heavens. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. Because verse 3 talks about the heavens again. So we're going to kind of pause that. We're going to go to verse 2. Then we're going to come back to the heavens and his glory in verse Three. So verse 2, again, it was already mentioned, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. So we see in this verse two things, talking of children or babies, right? And then the other thing is the enemies of God. So now in the psalm, we know he has an excellent name. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He has a relationship with those who know him, and yet he has enemies, we have to pause here for a second. We can't just fly by this. There are enemies of God. That there are some on this earth that will never submit to his lordship, to his sovereignty, to his rule, to his reign. And those are his enemies. And the Bible is saying they will be stilled. And I love the phrase in the King James for that reason. Because it's this idea to me of this, this enemy of God who is all worked up and, and just full of just all this issue and they just want to war against God and God will just still them. To me, that means they will have no ability, no power, no strength. They're just still. 
And I think the reason that the enemies of God are stilled is because they will see the majesty of his name. And there'll be a day where even the greatest enemy of God, the hater of God, will see the majesty of his name, the majesty of who he is. And what does the Bible say will happen? Every knee will bow. And you know what those, knee, those people who are bowing on their knees are doing? They're still. Because they, they're not bowing in submission to his lordship. They're bowing in an understanding that he is king of kings and lord of lords. See, they're bowing in judgment. We as followers of Christ, we bow humbly because we know him as our savior, as our Lord. And so here we see this idea of these two comparing things here. So all the enemies of God will be stilled. Another we could say this is frozen and weak. They'll be frozen. I think about it this way. When you're in a moment of fear, you ever been really scared? Okay. I I could tell a story about Pastor Keith and him on a roof and he was a little fearful, but I won't go there. Okay. Uh, If you want to know the story, you can tell me later. It was pretty great. But I've had moments of great fear, right? Now, there's some people that when they get afraid, what do they do? I'm out of here, okay? I'll be honest with you. If I'm in like an enclosed space and there's a large spider sharing that enclosed space with me, I'm gone. And I probably will squeal a little bit when I leave the room, okay? Just preaching, just being real. Just what? Sometimes cobwebs are enough if you... If you feel the cobweb, but you can't see the spider, that's terrifying, okay? And you start doing this, and then you're just like, it's all over you. Anyway, so thank you so much for that, Sandra. I appreciate that. Um, Okay, um, back back to the point. So some people run. What do other people do when they get afraid? They freeze. They don't know what to do. They're just panicked. To me, I kind of think of that, and again, I'm not saying this is dogmatic, other views, other opinions, but just in my mind, when I read this, I think about those enemies of God, when they realize who God is, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, they will be frozen in fear. Not fear, I revere your name, but fear of judgment. And they will be weak. All their supposed strength will leave them. Because they'll realize, I have nothing in comparison with this God. And so their enemies will be still. Now the phrase, this idea of the, the babies or the children. I tend to agree, kind of what was already talked about a little bit, that it's God saying, the weak things of the world, I will show my strength. But when I read this, it's, it's him saying, I can glorify my name in all of the heavens and even in the weak and simple, innocent things in this world that so many people overlook. They don't take it anywhere seriously. It's just, you know, it's just a baby. There's no strength there. There's no power there. And I think God is saying, no, no, even in the weak things of this world, I will show my strength. I will confound the wise. Paul says this later in the New Testament. But I can't help but also think, and I'm not saying this is exactly what the psalm is saying, but my mind goes to the, the person of Christ. How did Jesus enter the world? As an innocent baby. And did anyone consider that baby to be the power of God? Well, some, very small handful, but most overlooked the baby. But yet in that cradle, in that crib later on, and even in the manger in the beginning, he is the very power of God in this little baby. And through Christ, those enemies will be stilled. And so to me, my mind instantly goes to the person of Christ. That many people overlooked him. But there were a handful, the shepherds and some others that came and worshipped, the wise men that traveled later, There are those that recognize that, but most of humanity completely missed it. Why? Because he didn't come as a king, right? 
He didn't come with an entourage and all of that. And he wasn't in the palace. Small little baby born in, an, in a barn, more or less, or a small little cave. Two parents that were most likely terrified of what was going on. A teenage mother who believed God and trusted God, but pondered a lot of things in her heart, right? So that's not how people saw this happening. So they overlooked them. And that's where my mind goes when I think about this psalm. Verse 3. It says here, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. So again, we have verse 1, who has set the glory above the heavens. And then verse 3, when I consider the heavens. Now, the psalmist is referring to the heavens. What heavens is being referred to in verse 3? What heavens? The ones we can see. So we would call that space, right? The moon and the stars. We talked about the galaxies, right? It's, it's, it's incredible to me the images that we now have available to us on our phones. We can just look up certain images and just see other stars and galaxies and all of this and the beauty that we see in the heavens. And the Bible, the psalmist is saying that that space, that, that space that we see that scientists have been studying for so long reveals the very glory of God. Now, that glory is set above the heavens, and that, that could be a reference to the heaven of heavens, where, where God is. His glory is set there, but I believe that glory is put on display in the heavens we see. We see the glory of God and the majesty of God in the created heavens. This is why we can walk out on a, a dark night when there's not a lot of light, and we're blessed out here in this community to have that availability to see the stars and the handiwork of his hands and just be in praising him and worship him. And goes on to say in verse 3 that the moon and the stars are the work of his fingers. Now, when I thought of this, I don't know what comes to your mind, but I instantly thought of preschoolers doing finger paints. That's what came to my mind. Little kids with finger paints doing artwork, right? And I'm not a very good artist, but I thought about that. And I thought God literally created the heavens as a piece of art, a work of art, so that we, as his creation, will see that and recognize his greatness and praise him for it. But it does convey this simplicity of the work and the power of his hands. Notice also the psalmist makes a very clear point. Whose heavens are they? So if you haven't done it yet, you probably should circle or square out thy heavens, right? Your heavens, whatever. There's this possession there. It's not our heavens, right? It's not our space. It's God's heavens. It's his heavens. There's ownership there. They are his. They display his power, his majesty. And what's crazy to me is as science advances and as, you know, I guess everybody's just going to space now. Like it's just a thing. You just go to space. Um, to me, when you see this, what tends to be the response, the greater understanding we have of space and the stars and the moon? Who tends to get the glory for those advancements? We do, right? Look what we've discovered. Look what we've determined. Look what we can now do. We can now send people here. We can now do this. And it's interesting to me that the glory of God was meant to be on display in the heavens. And yet the more we understand the heavens, meaning space, the more glory we're giving to ourselves. And to me, that's just Romans 1, right? We're not, we're not giving glory to God, the creator. We're worshiping the created. We're, we're pridefully saying, look what we can do. And we're missing the picture that it's really God who's on 
display. His glory is on display. So we see the heavens. We see the beauty of the stars and the moon and all the planets, right? Which leads us to a question. When we see the glory of God in such a way, verse 4, the psalmist goes where we would go. Okay, and with that in mind, then what is man? What is man? That thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him. Why would God in the vastness of all this wonderful creation, why would he care about us? Why would he even think about us? So I want to talk about that a little bit here because that's a natural question that we would have compared to all the wonder of all creation, the stars and galaxies, billions of them, which by the way, he calls every star by name. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, really, when you stood outside and looked at the stars. Every single one of those little specks you see and the billions you can't, he named every one of them. And those galaxies that they're now discovering, that there's galaxies upon galaxies and this and this, every single one of those, he's given a name to each and every star. He knows them by name. So when you think about that, man, who am I that he would even think of me? We feel small. We feel insignificant. There's a humility, but it's not a good humility. It's I'm, I'm not worthy. And we can take it to a negative approach where we say, man, God couldn't possibly care about me. I'm so small. I'm insignificant. I'm worthless. Why would he possibly think of me? But actually, the opposite is true. The Bible says that the God of all creation is, and I like the word here, mindful of me and cares for me mindful of me and cares for me. Mindful is basically saying you are on his mind. So that phrase mindful, you can just put, he's thinking about me. Now we're not being prideful. We're not making it all about us, right? We're saying God chose to think about you. When we stand outside and we see all the stars, we're like, how could God possibly care about me? And the opposite is actually true. He's saying, no, no, you're on my mind. I'm thinking about you, and I care for you. The moon, the sun, the stars, all the beauty, and he's thinking about you. Verse 5 goes into the next speaking of this idea. And again, for time's sake, we're just going to keep going. We'll hopefully have some time at the end for any other comments or thoughts. Verse uh, 5. So this man that now we understand, he's thinking about us, he cares for us. That word visited is the idea of caring for him, or for us, rather. Verse 5. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. So here's this glory and honor again. What do we get from this idea here? Well, we are made a little lower than the angels, than God. Some question when he talks about this idea of the the heavenly host is some way that people understand this, that we're a little lower than the heavenly host. The angels, we're obviously not anywhere near the divinity of God. We're not the type of being as God is. We're not the type of created being that angels are. We're a little lower than them. And yet we're crowned with glory. The angels aren't crowned with glory as we are. So yes, in a sense, we're a little lower than the angels, but still valuable. I like what one author said. We are a little lower than the angels. We're not a little higher than the animals. And and there's a big difference there. In our culture, it's, well, you're a little bit better than those animals over there grazing in the field. But God says, no, 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 no. We can't even compare the two because you're just a little lower than these heavenly beings. And when you see yourself as created by God with a purpose from God, not just some result of some supposed 
mythological evolutionary processes, man, your value and your worth becomes very evident, doesn't it? When I'm created by God and I have the glory of God placed upon me, and why is that? Because Genesis tells us that we are made in the image of God. You're an image bearer of God. And so if you want to write out somewhere, maybe near that verse, image bearer of God, that's what you are. Yes, sin came in and and sin took our eyes off the Lord and, and it caused a lot of other issues and division between us and God. But you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we are no longer the image bearers of God. But we don't see that now. But in Christ, we're restored in understanding that. And so here we understand we are made a little lower than the angels and crown him with glory and honor. We gaze at the stars and are struck by the glory of God and miss the fact that the clearest way to see the glory of God is by looking at the people around you. Looking at those in your family, looking at those in your job, looking at different people groups all over the world. Uh, Pastor Greg shared it this morning. What an amazing week these guys were able to have at Wyumi and learning about these other people groups that need the word of God in their language because in God's eyes, they're just as valuable as you sitting in this room right now. I I think he said a hundred translations in English. A hundred translations in English. Some people groups don't even have a part of the Bible, let alone an entire Old and New Testament. I'll never forget when our missionaries, the Abrams, who worked in Senegal, West Africa. And some of you might remember this. It's been uh, maybe 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. Uh, they sent us a video. They had finally completed the entire Bible for that people group. Uh, I think it was the Boudic people in Senegal, West Africa. And they sent us a video of them delivering the Bibles, like in boxes. The, there was just this celebration. I mean, it was a party. These people were just rejoicing, not because of anything other than they finally had a completed copy of this book for themselves. They could actually take it home with them. Now, I think about that. I mean, the Abrams were in that tribe for well over 20, 25 years. And at the end of it, some people would say, well, it wasn't really a great success. I mean, at the end of the day, all you really did was translate the Bible. But so much more than that. And I'll never forget watching that video and watching those people just get so excited that they had a copy of God's word in their language. And yet again, it was a reminder to me almost instantly. The spirit of God was like, you have one and you ignore it. I mean, I'm not saying we got to jump around and dance and all that when we open up the Bible in the morning to do our Bible study. If you want to, you can, that's fine, whatever. We won't tell anybody if you do that. But, But do we have an honest joy? Like, are we excited, as I said this morning, to get into God's word? Or is this just something we know we have? We just know we have it. I mean, all of us, if you have a phone or a device, you have it either on your phone or you could get it on your phone. And if you use like the YouVersion Bible app, there's literally just dozens upon dozens of translations. Anthony just found the one for the tribal group that they were learning about down at Wyumi on YouVersion. It's incredible to me, the technology we have. And yet, do we utilize it? And so for me, when you think about this idea that, that when you look around us and you see these different images of people and our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members, they are image bearers of God. They reflect the glory of God to us. We see the glory of God's handiwork in them. We don't have to just go out and look at the stars and say, wow, this is a great God we serve. We see each other every single day and we can say, man, this is the glory of God. It's on display before us. When we fully understand this truth, 
we understand that we are image bearers of God, glory is, is reflecting of God off of us, then things like racism become, become unbearable. Things like abortion becomes unbearable. Violence against another human being becomes unbearable. When we fully see someone as an image bearer of God, whether they're saved or not, I'm not saying we condone the actions, but the individual is not your enemy. But when you see that person and you give them worth and value because you know they're created by God and they, they have the glory of God being reflected off of them. They were made in the image of God. How could I possibly disregard them? Commit violence against them? Now, I know in our culture today to disagree with somebody supposedly is an act of violence. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actual violence. I'm talking about actual hatred towards somebody because they disagree with you on something. Maybe the solution is to help them to understand who they really are and who God calls them to be. So here we see this idea that we are given this glory. So the glory of God is on display in the heavens. The glory of God is also on display in you and I as his creation. Verse 6 through 8. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. So what are we talking about here? That we've been entrusted with responsibilities. We've been entrusted with responsibilities. To reflect the character of God to the world around us is a great blessing and gift. We are blessed with work and responsibilities to make known the glory of God to others. When we are entrusted with these things and we understand it and we're stewards of these things, then we can reflect that glory in those things. We are commissioned to take part in caring for this world. This is where I think culture misunderstands what the Bible says. So many people in our culture think that Christians don't care about the environment, don't care about taking care of the planet, don't care about taking care of things. And actually the opposite is true. As Christians, we should be the most concerned about taking care of the resources that God has given us. Now, to what degree? Obviously, we would disagree with how that goes about. But obviously, it doesn't mean we just are horrible testimony and we just don't care for the things that we have. No, we care for the things that God has entrusted to us and we manage them according to his word. We've got to hurry. Lastly, verse 9. Ends the way it begins. Why all of this? Why the creation why mankind? Why entrust us with responsibilities? So that his name might be known. Verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And that is the call. That is the commission of the church, I truly believe. To make his name known. Again, it ends where it begins. That his name will go forth and he alone will receive all the praise. This takes place when the gospel is preached and the world, world might know there is no other name given among men whereby they must be saved. Now, you might think to yourself in Psalm 8 there, there is no gospel. It doesn't say Jesus. It doesn't say you got to be saved. It doesn't say any of that. And you would be right. In a sense, obviously, Psalm 8 does not say, ask Jesus to be your savior. Right? We can make comparisons. So where do we get this idea of this connection and I believe that we are blessed to have the full word of God to help us to make this connection. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. All the way over in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 6. Hebrews 2 and verse 6. 
<clears throat> goes on to say this, but one in a certain place testified saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, in what sense? How was Jesus made a little lower than the angels? We know he's still divinity. He's still God. So in what way was Jesus made a little lower than the angels? Yeah, he took on flesh, right? And in that, he's like us in that he took on flesh. This is not saying he lost his divinity or his deity, okay? But we see Jesus, who made, was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Do you see the connection the author of Hebrews is making from Psalm 8 all the way to the work of Christ and the death of Christ on the cross? He's saying Jesus took on flesh so that the name of God would be glorified and that he tasted death. He was buried and he rose again. And anyone who comes to Christ will be saved and will be able to declare the glory of the name of God. Tonight, we simply looked at one psalm and are reminded of the power and majesty of our God. His name is glorious. And we as his crowning creation are reflecting that glory so that others may come to know him as their personal king who cares and is mindful of them. The reality is that God is inviting all of us to engage with him and in his word in a way, in this way, every single day. To spend time in prayer and study that we might fall more in love with him. And so my encouragement tonight, as we just spend a simple time tonight just looking at one psalm and breaking it apart, is that we will devote ourselves to that prayer and that time in his word. And and what kind of prayer? I would encourage you to pray for others. Intercessory prayer, to pray on behalf of others in need. But then as we get into his word, we're desiring to meditate on the word of God, to slow down and to think through what the text says and then allow that text to stay with us. When I was in college, I had a, in my pastoral class, the pastor was saying, as he was teaching us how to write outlines, And there's all different ways to do it. But he was saying that one of his goals is to write it in a way that helps people remember the basic idea of what he's trying to communicate. And he said, here's why. Because most people will forget Sunday to Sunday what they heard last Sunday in the sermon. And I thought, I don't know if that's always true. And he said, so I want you to test this out. So sure enough, we went to church that Sunday. And I just asked a handful of people in our college class. I said, so what was the message about last week? And they were... uh, Well, I know he, I mean, we were in Matthew, I think. And it just spoke to me that, wow, like we really move on. Like a lot of us, we just hear a message. Oh, that was really great. We take some notes and then we're moving on to the next thing. Our minds are just racing to the next thing because we're all busy. We all have stuff to do, stuff to think about, things to prepare for. But I want to encourage us to take a text like this and just meditate on it. Just let it kind of sink in, like soak it up. And then tomorrow when you're doing that, task and you have a moment for your mind to be free. Let your mind drift, not to just endless thoughts of these things, but drift to the word of God to say, God, I want your word to soak into me to a point where it's the outpouring of your spirit. It's the outpouring of your words. When I come against a negative situation or a stressful situation, it's your word that comes out of me, not my opinion, not my anger, not my anxiety, but your word to come out. 
And that's only going to happen if we allow the Spirit of God opportunity to give us that word in our hearts and minds. And so that's what really tonight is about, is just showing how simply we can look at one psalm, get so much out of this psalm, and allow God to encourage it into our hearts and minds. So we do have a couple of minutes before we need to pray and be dismissed. And so any, any other comments or thoughts on the psalm, on what we've talked about tonight before we pray? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it helps us to see people in, the, in a biblical light that helps us to, to be able to do what God says, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that we can be gracious because we realize we receive grace so we can give grace. Absolutely. Anyone else? Well, amen. Uh, any, uh, before we do close in prayer, I know I didn't do this at the beginning. I wanted to make sure we got through the, the text tonight. But any, before we pray, any prayer requests that anyone would share this evening quickly before we go to prayer? Kat? Okay. 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 Pray for Angela, having a little bit of a stomach issue this afternoon. Be praying for her. Anyone else? Sandra? Uh, Maria yes. Yeah, be praying for for Maria. This is uh, Grayson's mom, and we've talked about this off and on for a couple of years now. But um, they found some more, a couple more tumors, and so they're looking at different treatment options. So be praying for her. And this has been a long road already, and so just pray for the family and for a growth in their faith as well. Prayerfully, they'll continue to look to the Lord and trust in Him. Sandra. Mm-hmm. Pray for Kathy um, Haskins for uh, treatment, cancer treatment starting up. It's a pretty severe one from what we've heard. The type of chemo they're going to do apparently is pretty pretty severe. So pray for, for her. Claudette? Okay. Pray for Jeff and Claudette and unspoken there. Yes, ma'am? Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Sure. Okay. Okay. For Karen, you said. Okay. Pray for Karen for salvation. Anyone else before we pray? As Pastor Greg said this morning, continue to pray for those that were at camp this week. That they, uh, Some of them really did feel an impression for missions. So I want to pray for that. That God would continue to just be clear on that. Anyone else? Pray for Alan Corbett, left Friday to head back to D.C. So it was great having him with us. But let's be praying for him as he continues to serve. Yes, ma'am. Sorry, 
That's fine. Oh my goodness. Um, but he's also not able, like you know, there's no there just because of his mental abilities, able to sit and do the linear connecting. So just wisdom on wisdom. Okay. You said this is Kevin's son. Yeah, Dylan. Okay. Dylan. Pray for Dylan, but also for healing there. Wisdom for the doctors, wisdom for all involved. All right. Well if there's nothing else, we'll go ahead and close in prayer this evening. All right. Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend in your word, Lord. And I just pray that that it's your word that goes forth. It's the word of God that is that foundation that we stand upon, Lord, that gives us strength and courage. Uh, Father, what a name is your name. And so, Father, I pray that we would meditate upon that this evening. Allow it to soak up into us, Lord, that we would go through this week just praising you for who you are. That, Lord, we would see that, yes, your glory is on display in the world around us through creation. But not only in the stars and the sun and the moon, but, Lord, every day as we see different people from different walks of life, that we can see value and worth in them. Lord, we're not going to agree with them all the time. We're going to disagree. We can even do that respectfully, Lord. But I pray that we would see that even if they don't understand their worth and their value, that we could help by sharing your gospel and the truth of your love for them and communicate that you think of them, that they are on your mind. And Lord, I pray that they would make that decision of faith before they leave this world. Because Lord, if they choose to continue in their sin, that Lord, they would be still before you as they will then recognize your greatness, your majesty. Father, I lift up these requests, Lord, tonight. We just pray for Alan. He's traveled back to D.C., Lord, and is back serving. Lord, I just pray you'd strengthen him, give him endurance. Uh, Lord, just help him to uh, be able to find a church home, find a place where he can connect and be encouraged, uh, Lord, in his faith. And I thank you so much for what he's doing. I pray that you would just be with Kathy Haskins, Lord, and just uh, with her cancer treatment, minister your grace and your comfort there and bring healing from that. Lord, for Maria, the same. Lord, we just pray for your grace and comfort and healing there. And we think of Karen, Lord, we pray that she would come to know you, uh, not trusting in a, um, a hybrid Christianity, Lord, of just maybe some new age and some different things, but Lord, trusting in the true word of God, what you say uh, the gospel is, Lord, repenting of our sins and trusting in Christ. And so I pray that you would bring understanding there. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would prick her heart and draw her to repentance. And we pray, Father, for uh, Kevin as well. Give him wisdom with Dylan and what's the best there. and Just minister your, your grace there, Lord. Bring healing for what he's going through. Father, I think of Angela. Just help her with a stomach issue today, Lord. Just alleviate that pain, Lord, and just minister your comfort and your grace there. Father, we also lift up the students that were able to go to camp this week and the leaders. We just pray that you would uh, continue to fan the flame of interest and desire for missions, Lord. Uh, and may we all realize that missions doesn't just take place overseas. Uh, every single day that we are given breath in our lungs, that we can be missionaries. Uh, Lord, it looks different for all of us. Uh, but I pray that you would just use... Uh, our words, use our actions, that they would glorify you. And Father, again, we thank you for being the God that you are. Help us to just worship you and praise you. In all of this, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.